The French Revolution, A History, by Thomas Carlyle, Volume 2, The Constitution, Volume 4, Varennes. Chapter 3, Count Fersen. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Peter Dan. Book 4, Chapter 3, Count Fersen. Royalty, in fact, should by this time be far on with its preparations. Unhappily, much preparation is needful. Could a hereditary representative be carried in leather vache, how easy were it? But it is not so. New clothes are needed, as usual in all epic transactions, were it in the grimmest Iron Ages. Consider Queen Kriemhild with her sixty semstresses in that Iron Nibelungen song. No queen can stir without new clothes. Therefore now Dame Campan whisks assiduous to this mantua-maker and to that, and there is clipping of frocks and gowns, upper clothes and under, great and small, such a clipping and sewing as might have been dispensed with. Moreover, Her Majesty cannot go a step any whither without her necessaire, dear necessaire of inlaid ivory and rosewood cunningly devised, which holds perfumes, toilette implements, infinite small queen-like furnitures, necessary to terrestrial life, not without a cost of some five hundred louis of much precious time and difficult hoodwinking which does not blind, can this same necessary of life be forwarded by the Flanders carriers never to get to hand or which you would say augazil for the prospering of the enterprise. But the whims of women and queens must be honoured. Bouillet, on his side, is making a fortified camp at Montmédy, gathering Royal Allemand and all manner of other German and true French troops thither to watch the Austrians. His Majesty will not cross the frontiers unless on compulsion. Neither shall the emigrants be much employed, hateful as they are to all people. Nor shall old war-god Brolier have any hand in the business, but solely our brave Bouillet, to whom on the day of meeting a marshal's baton shall be delivered by a rescued king among the shouting of all the troops. In the meanwhile, Paris being so suspicious, were it not perhaps good to write your foreign ambassadors an ostensible constitutional letter, desiring all kings and men to take heed that King Louis loves the constitution, that he has voluntarily sworn and does again swear to maintain the same, and will reckon those his enemies who affect to say otherwise. Such a constitutional circular is dispatched by couriers, is communicated confidentially to the assembly, and printed in all newspapers with the finest effect. Simulation and dissimulation mingle extensively in human affairs. We observe, however, that Count Fersen is often using his ticket of entry, which surely he has clear right to do. A gallant soldier and Swede devoted to this fair queen, as indeed the highest Swede now is. Has not King Gustav, famed fiery Chevalier du Nord, sworn himself by the old laws of chivalry her knight? He will descend on fire wings of Swedish musketry and deliver her from these foul dragons, if, alas, the assassin's pistol intervene not. But, in fact, Count Fersen does seem a likely young soldier, of alert, decisive ways. He circulates widely, seen, unseen, and has business on hand. Also Colonel the Duc de Choiseul, nephew of Choiseul the Great, of Choiseul the now deceased, he and engineer Gougela are passing and repassing between Metz and the Tuileries, and letters go in cipher. 
one of them a most important one, hard to decipher, Fersen having siphoned it in haste. As for the Duke de Villequierre, he is gone ever since the day of poniards, but his apartment is useful for Her Majesty. On the other side, poor Commandant Gouvion, watching at the Tuileries, second in national command, sees several things hard to interpret. It is the same Gouvion who sat, long months ago, at the town hall, gazing helpless into that insurrection of women, motionless as the brave stabled steed when conflagration rises till Asher Maillard snatched his drum. Sincere patriot there is not, but many a shiftier. He, if Dame Campan gossip credibly, is paying some similitude of love-court to a certain false chambermaid of the palace, who betrays much to him. The necessaire, the clothes, the packing of the jewels, could he understand it when betrayed? Helpless Gouvion gazes with sincere glassy eyes into it, stirs up his sentries to vigilance, walks restless to and fro, and hopes the best. But, on the whole, one finds that, in the second week of June, Colonel de Choiset is privately in Paris, having come to see his children. Also that Fersen has got a stupendous new coach built of the kind named Berlin, done by the first artists, according to a model. They bring it home to him in Choiseul's presence. The two friends take a proof drive in it along the streets in meditative mood, then send it up to Madame Sullivan's in the Rue de Clichy, far north, to wait there till wanted. Apparently a certain Russian Baroness de Korf with waiting women, valet and two children will travel homewards with some state in whom these young military gentlemen take interest. A passport has been procured for her and much assistance shown with coach-builders and such-like, so helpful, polite are young military men. Fersen has likewise purchased a chaise fit for two, at least for two waiting-maids. Further, certain necessary horses, one would say, he is himself quitting France, not without outlay. We observe finally that their majesties, heaven willing, will assist at Corpus Christi Day, this blessed summer solstice, in Assumption Church here at Paris, to the joy of all the world. For which same day, moreover, brave Bouillet at Metz, as we find, has invited a party of friends to dinner, but indeed is gone from home in the interim over to Montmédy. These are of the phenomena or visual appearances of this wide-working terrestrial world, which truly is all phenomenal, what they call spectral, and never rests at any moment, one never at any moment can know why. On Monday night, the 20th of June, 1791, about 11 o'clock, there is many a hackney coach and glass coach, carrosse de la mise, still rumbling or at rest on the streets of Paris. But of all glass coaches we recommend this to thee, O reader, which stands drawn up in the Rue de l'Echelle, hard by the carousel and outgate of the Tuileries, in the Rue de l'Echelle that then was opposite Rancin, the saddler's door, as if waiting for a fare there. Not long does it wait, a hooded dame with two hooded children has issued from Vilecchia's door, where no sentry walks, into the Tuileries' court of princes, into the carousel, into the Rue de l'Echelle, where the glass coachman readily admits them, and again waits. Not long. Another dame, likewise hooded or shrouded, leaning on a servant, issues in the same manner, by the glass coachman cheerfully admitted. Whither go so many dames? 
"'Tis His Majesty's couchet, Majesty just gone to bed, and all the palace world is retiring home, but the glass coachman still waits, his fare seemingly incomplete. By and by we note a thick-set individual in round hat and peruke, arm and arm with some servant, seemingly of the runner or courier sort. He also issues through Vilekia's door, starts a shoe-buckle as he passes one of the sentries, stoops down to clasp it again, is, however, by the glass coachman still more cheerfully admitted. And now is his fare complete? Not yet. The glass coachman still waits. Alas, and the false chambermaid has warned Gouvion that she thinks the royal family will fly this very night, and Gouvion, distrusting his own glazed eyes, has sent express for Lafayette, and Lafayette's carriage, flaring with lights, rolls this moment through the inner arch of the carousel, where a lady, shaded in broad gypsy hat and leaning on the arm of a servant, also of the runner or courier sort, stands aside to let it pass, and has even the whim to touch a spoke of it with her badine, like little magic rod which she calls badine, such as the beautiful then wore. The flare of Lafayette's carriage rolls past, all is found quiet in the court of princes, sentries at their post, majesty's apartments closed in smooth rest. Your false chambermaid must have been mistaken. Watch thou, Gouvion, with Argus's vigilance, for of a truth treachery is within these walls. But where is the lady that stood aside in gypsy hat and touched the wheel-spoke with her bedine? Oh, reader, that lady that touched the wheel-spoke was the Queen of France. She has issued safe through that inner arch into the carousel itself, but not into the Rue de l'Echelle. Flurried by the rattle and rencounter, she took the right hand, not the left. Neither she nor her courier knows Paris. He indeed is no courier, but a loyal, stupid, ci-devant bodyguard disguised as one. They are off, quite wrong, over the Pont Royal and river, roaming disconsolate in the Rue du Bac, far from the glass coachman who still waits. Waits with flutter of heart, with thoughts, which he must button close up under his Javis Souteau. Midnight clangs from all the city steeples. One precious hour has been spent so. Most mortals are asleep. The glass coachman waits, and what mood! A brother Jarvie drives up, enters into conversation, is answered cheerfully in Jarvie dialect. The brothers of the whip exchange a pinch of snuff, decline drinking together, and part with good night. Be the heavens blessed, here at length is the queen lady, in gypsy hat, safe after perils, who has had to inquire her way. She too is admitted, her courier jumps aloft as the other, who is also a disguised bodyguard, has done. And now, O glass coachman of a thousand, Count Furson, for the reader sees it is thou, drive! Dust shall not stick to the hoofs of Furson. Crack, crack, the glass coach rattles, and every soul breathes lighter. But is Furson on the right road? North-eastward to the barrier of St. Martin and Metz Highway, thither were we bound, and lo, he drives right northward. The royal individual in round hat and peruke sits astonished, but right or wrong there is no remedy. Crack, crack, we go, incessant, through the slumbering city. Seldom since Paris rose out of mud, or the long-haired kings went in bullock carts, was there such a drive. Mortals on each hand of you, close by, stretched out horizontal, dormant, and we, alive and quaking, 
crack, crack, through the Rue du Grandmont, across the boulevard, up the Rue de la Chaussée d'Antin. These windows, all silent, of number 42, were Mirabeau's. Towards the barrier, not of Saint-Martin, but of Clichy, on the utmost north. Patience, ye royal individuals, Ferson understands what he is about. Passing up the Rue de Clichy, he alights for one moment at Madame Sullivan's. Did Count Ferson's coachman get the Baroness de Corf's new Berlin? Gone with it an hour and a half ago, grumbles responsive the drowsy porter. C'est bien. Yes, it is well, though had not such hour and a half been lost, it were better still. Forth, therefore, O Ferson, fast by the barrier de Clichy, then eastward along the outer boulevard, what horses and whipcord can do? Thus Ferson drives through the ambrosial night, sleeping Paris is now all on the right hand of him, silent except for some snoring hum, and now he is eastward as far as the barrier de Saint-Martin, looking earnestly for Baroness de Coff's Berlin. This heaven's Berlin he at length does descry, drawn up with its six horses, his own German coachman waiting on the box. Right, thou good German, now haste whither thou knowest. And as for us of the glass coach, haste too, oh haste, much time is already lost. The august glass coach fare, six insides, hastily packs itself into the new Berlin, two bodyguard couriers behind. The glass coach itself is turned adrift, its head towards the city to wander whither it lists, and be found next morning tumbled in a ditch. But Furson is on the new box, with its brave new hammer cloths, flourishing his whip, he bolts forward towards Bondy. There a third and final bodyguard courier of ours ought surely to be, with post-horses ready ordered. There likewise ought that purchased chaise with the two waiting-maids and their bandboxes to be, whom also Her Majesty could not travel without. Swift thou deft person, and may the heavens turn it well. Once more, by heaven's blessing, it is all well. Here is the sleeping hamlet of Bondi, chaise with waiting women, horses already, and postilions with their churn boots, impatient in the dewy dawn. Brief harnessing done, the postilions with their churn boots vault into the saddles, brandish circularly their little noisy whips. Ferson under his javi surtout bends in lowly silent reverence of adieu. Royal hands wave speechless in inexpressible response. Baroness de Corf's Berlin, with the royalty of France, bounds off forever, as it proved. Deft Furson dashes obliquely northward through the country towards Bougeret, gains Bougeret, finds his German coachman and chariot waiting there, cracks off and drives undiscovered into unknown space. A deft, active man, we say, what he undertook to do is nimbly and successfully done. And so the royalty of France is actually fled, this precious night, the shortest of the year, it flies and drives. Baroness de Corf is, at bottom, Dame de Tourcel, governess of the royal children, she who came hooded with the two hooded little ones, little Dauphin, little Madame Royale, known long afterwards as Duchess d'Anjoulême. Baroness de Corf's waiting-maid is the queen in gypsy hat, the royal individual in round hat and peruke, he is valet for the time being. That other hooded dame, styled travelling companion, is kind sister Elizabeth. She has sworn long since, when the insurrection of women was, that only death should part her and them. And so they rush there, not too impetuously, through the wood of Bondy, over a Rubicon of their own, and France's history. Great though the future is all vague, 
if we reach Bouye? If we do not reach him, O oh, Louis, and this all round thee is the great slumbering earth, and overhead the great watchful heaven, the slumbering wood of Bondy, where long-haired Schilderich do-nothing was struck through with iron, not unreasonably. These peaked stone towers are rancy, towers of wicker d'Orléans. All slumbers save the multiplex rustle of our new Berlin, loose-skirted scarecrow of an herb merchant with his ass and early greens toilsomely plodding seems the only creature we meet. But right ahead the great northeast sends up evermore his grey brindled dawn from dewy branch birds here and there with short deep warble salute the coming sun. Stars fade out and galaxies, street lamps of the city of God the universe, O oh my brothers, is flinging wide its portals for the levee of the great high king. Thou, poor King Louis, fairest nevertheless, as mortals do, towards orient lands of hope, and the Tuileries with its levees and France and the earth itself is but a larger kind of dog-hutch, occasionally going rabid. End of Book 4, Chapter 3